0: Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Show notes and additional episodes are available at kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog at comlawmonitor.com. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us today. We are continuing with our podcast series offering some immediate impressions following the Federal Communications Commission's monthly open meetings. I am Chip Yurkaitis, a partner in the Kelly Dry and Warren Communications Group, and I'm joined today by my associate, Belen Crisp. We invite you to go to kellydry.com and subscribe to our podcast series and blogs. Probably the biggest news from today's open meeting is that the commission unanimously voted to commence an inquiry proceeding to explore options for promoting improvements in radio frequency receiver performance. The commissioners uniformly underscored the view that consideration of receiver performance and the exploration of ways to provide incentives for receivers that are more resilient to interference, including potential policies and perhaps even rules at some point uh, governing receiver performance is an important next step in spectrum management as use of the RF spectrum becomes even more intense. Commissioner Carr offered the observation that in his view, a lot of hassle in several proceedings in recent years may have been avoided if receiver standards had been in place. And Commissioner Symington, who is widely credited with leading the charge and making this inquiry a reality, opined that as the era of abundant spectrum is coming to a close, writes that the band edges must be better stated in terms of expectations uh, for both receivers and transmitters. I would like to point out that the inquiry proceeding itself is a matter that will not directly lead to new rules since this is not a rulemaking but the record developed in response to the notice of inquiry may well lay the foundation for future policies and in specific bans in future proceedings, the adoption of receiver performance regulations. One example of the latter may be interference claim thresholds by which receivers would have to meet certain technical requirements in terms of resilience in order to be able to claim harmful interference, and obtain relief from other users of the spectrum, whether in the same adjacent or nearby bands. In fact, we've seen something analogous to this in the recently implemented C-band framework where incumbent receive-only earth stations and the fixed satellite services are being transitioned out of the 3,700 to 4,000 megahertz band and uh, typically into the adjacent 4,000 to 4,200 megahertz band. In the future, in order to make any claims of harmful interference received from new flexible use operations that are licensed in and will be deployed in the 3700 to 3980 megahertz band the incumbent earth stations that have been transitioned must be equipped with passband filters meeting certain technical and performance requirements one difference in that particular band which won't necessarily be present in future situations is that the regulatory framework the commission adopted provides for reimbursement by the auction winners for the transition of the earth stations, including the installation of the passband filters in question. As emphasized by the commissioners in their comments today during the open meeting, spectrum management efforts historically have predominantly focused on transmitter regulations. With this notice of inquiry, the commission's going to re-engage with how receivers factor into the efficient spectrum management that they seek to implement. This is a key policy consideration. The draft NOI prepared by the Office of Engineering and Technology reflects a view that uh, was reiterated by each of the commissioners in their remarks today that it is time to consider a rebalancing of the roles that transmitters and receivers play in facilitating innovative and efficient spectrum use. This is especially the case as demand for spectrum in all sectors of industry is on the rise. Uh, Many spectrum bands are already congested and disparate services are more frequently being packed together. I appreciated Commissioner Stark's observation today that even if new policies or rules are adopted, coordination among spectrum users, and I take that to mean communications generally, will remain critical. He also underscored the need for a whole of system approach to spectrum management. Like many inquiries, the Commission's reach and gathering information will be very broad. Uh, it's less clear what the end result will be. Indeed, in 2003, the Commission launched an inquiry into some of these same issues and four years later terminated the proceeding. Noted that it might consider adopting such interference immunity specifications on a band specific or service specific basis. And while the commission has done so on a limited basis, basis in isolated situations in the intervening 15 years, it hasn't been the norm. Commissioner Starts, referencing the earlier NOI that was terminated 15 years ago, stated that this new proceeding has been a long time coming. However, the discourse over receiver standards has been ongoing, even if it has not resulted in broad policies or rules. As the draft NOI recounts, In in past decades, the Commission's Technological Advisory Council, uh, other groups such as uh, the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, or NTIA, and the Commerce Committee Spectrum Management Advisory Committee, or CSMAC, the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology, or PCAST, as well as academics have generated reports and recommendations on receiver performance and spectrum management. As a lot of these efforts occurred uh, more than five years ago and some more than 10 years ago, the commission will now seek updated views on the reports and recommendations uh, that they, they brought uh, to attention through the notice. The, the NOI will also seek comment on RF environments with respect to particular services and how those environments might change. One of the key questions raised, one of many in the draft NOI, is the extent to which there should be different approaches to receiver performance policies based on the particular services involved and or which services operate in adjacent or nearby bands. At the same time, the NOI asks what concerns and approaches the commission should consider with respect to accommodating not only the existing RF environment in the same and nearby spectrum bands, but also to what extent receiver design should anticipate future but unknown Potential interference sources created by adjacent or nearby band operations. As I mentioned up front, the Commission will not, based on the NOI record, be adopting any binding rules regarding receiver performance. However, it does note that incorporating receiver performance considerations into FCC spectrum management could take several forms, including one, promoting industry developed guidelines and standards on a voluntary basis, two, additional Commission guidance, including clarifications of existing Commission policies or the issuance of a broad policy statement or more targeted approaches, such as interference limits policies or a harm claim threshold policy or three in particular circumstances, the adoption of specific rule requirements and specific bans or for specific services. The draft NOI also seeks comment on a broad range of issues regarding transition concerns, including timing and costs and possible phase ins of existing uh, for, that would affect existing users, whereby receivers may need to be modified, replaced, or repaired to satisfy new expectations or requirements regarding receiver performance and resilience to interference. One of the other points I'd like to make is that the NOI has a broad scope in the sense that it's seeking information with regard to receivers used by uh, the wide range of uh, radio spectrum users, uh, including commercial mobile operators uh, and their customers, uh, aeronautical services, public safety services, satellite services, and others. So it's not targeted on just a particular part of the uh, uh, variety of uh, radio spectrum users, but includes them all. It's very early in this process. And given the multitude of RF allocation pairings and neighborhoods, the myriad services and applications that exist and will be coming down the line and the frequency dependent nature of propagation characteristics, it is extremely difficult to predict at this time on day one, the direction that this NOI will take the commission the many industries that use wireless technologies, and the federal government. Chairwoman will made clear in her remarks that the NOI is a complement to the spectrum coordination initiative she and NTIA Administrator Alan Davidson launched only two months ago to increase the regularity of dialogue between their two agencies on spectrum management and to work toward updating coordination between them on the uses of spectrum by their constituents. Finally, I'll mention once the text of the NOI is released and the commission issues a public notice in the Federal Register, uh, the commission uh, based on the draft NOI will provide for 45 days for comments and another 30 for replies. So in all likelihood, the record in response to this NOI will begin to develop in late June to early July. I'll stop there and hand it over to Boleyn Crisp who will address the commission's adoption of a further notice of proposed rulemaking today to strengthen the effectiveness of wireless emergency alerts. Elaine?
1: Thanks, Chip. In today's meeting, the Federal Communications Commission unanimously adopted a further notice of proposed rulemaking, also called FNPRM, in the matter of wireless emergency alerts regarding amendments to part 11 of the Commission Emergency Alert System Rules. Let's start with some background here. 10 years ago, wireless emergency alerts were launched through the Warning, Alert, and Response Network Act, also called the WARN Act. The Wireless Emergency Alert System, also called WIA, is used to send alerts to cell phones compatible with its system. These alerts warn the public about concerning events such as dangerous weather, missing children in a particular area, and other critical situations. I'm sure all of us have received an emergency alert on our cell phones in the past. The most recent one I received was a tornado warning actually. Since its origination, WIA has been used more than 62,000 times to issue warnings to the public nationwide and has been credited with the recovery of 120 children which is quite an accomplishment. In light of the 10-year anniversary of WIA, the FCC approved the FNPRM in public safety dockets 1591 and 1594. The FCC proposed that wireless providers that participate in WIA publicly report on the key aspects of the performance of the alert system. These reports would possibly summarize the reliability speed, and accuracy of the emergency alerts sent out by these providers. One of the reasons the Commission raised this issue is because of a recent WIA test, which was mentioned by Chairwoman Rosenworcel during today's meeting. In 2021, the Public Safety and Homeland Security Bureau of the FCC partnered with federal, state, and local emergency management agencies to gather data about end users' experiences with nationwide WIA testing. The Bureau's report found that approximately 90% of the respondents received the test messages within two minutes of transmission. Another interesting finding is that many mobile devices received duplicate messages when this test was issued. The commission is interested in getting more accurate emergency messages out to people in the correct geographic locations and clearing up confusion by reducing duplicate messages. Both Commissioner Carr and Commissioner Simonton highlighted that precise messaging should be improved so that jurisdictions do not continue to lose faith in the reliability and accuracy of the system. Now, it's important to note that the Wireless Emergency Alerts Registry is voluntary. And so far, 76 commercial mobile service providers have voluntarily elected to participate and issue these emergency alerts. Providers may be concerned about the specifics of the reporting requirements that will be issued by the commission. Will reporting requirements bring regulatory or financial burdens upon providers that they may not want to take on considering their participation is voluntary? In this FNPRM, The FCC does seek comment regarding the frequency of the report, looking to see if it should be annual or only responsive to material network upgrades. So it does look like they are considering the potential burdens on providers. The FCC also seeks comment regarding how reliability, speed, and accuracy should be defined, and they're looking at whether these are the best performance metrics for this evaluation and report. Another topic raised by the Commission was privacy. The FCC is asking whether there are consumer privacy concerns associated with the reporting of WIA performance information from mobile devices. It is possible that the collection of that performance data could concern some consumers. This further notice of proposed rulemaking has plenty of items that providers and consumers can weigh in on once it is posted in the Federal Register. Commissioner Starks and Commissioner Simonson both encourage stakeholders to actively participate in the comment process to help develop a robust record. It will be quite interesting to see the comments and ultimately what the FCC decides to do regarding wireless emergency alerts and public reporting moving forward.
0: Thanks, Beleyn. Finally, I'll mention the third item the Commission adopted today, uh, only briefly. In a Notice of Apparent Liability, or NAL, the FCC proposed a fine of over $660,000 against TruePhone Inc., for allegedly exceeding statutory limits for ownership by foreign individuals or entities holding equity or voting interests in FCC-issued common carrier wireless licenses and foreign ownership reporting requirements for International 214 authorizations, which were transferred without commission approval. Over several years, uh, there were apparently multiple transfers uh, in this case. And one of the consequences of Trufone's actions uh, was that control of its licenses and international Section 214 authorizations passed to foreign entities not vetted for compliance with the committee's rules or subjected to national security and law enforcement reviews by the executive branch agencies, specifically the Committee for the Foreign Assessment of foreign participation in the United States telecommunication services sector, uh, which is known generally as Team Telecom. The NAL adopted today, among other things, uh, is a good reminder that the FCC's approval by way of declaratory rulings must be obtained before foreign ownership of a U.S. organized entity that controls a common carrier radio station license exceeds 25 percent of the U.S. entity's equity or voting interests. Further, uh, it's also good to keep in mind that even after such approval is granted, prior approval is required uh, additionally before any further foreign individual or entity not previously approved by the Commission acquires more than a 5% or greater direct or indirect equity or voting interest in that entity. These limits are a complement to limits in the Communications Act that direct foreign ownership in a common carrier radio license cannot exceed 20%. So with that, we want to thank you for listening today, and be sure to join us again next month on May 19th after the FCC's next open meeting. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the host or guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kelly Dryan Warren LLP, its staff, or management.